Good morning, everyone. Well, let's just stay in the attitude of worship. You know, I really felt the presence of the Lord this morning. The Holy Spirit's really tangible. He's, you know, the Bible says that God is among us. He's tabernacling among us. He's here. He's here. And um, so sweet. It's always lovely just to experience the wonder of our salvation. And so, like Chad says, we might proclaim it many times. You know why? Because we never lose the wonder of it. And, uh, and so we need to be a people that are always consciously, that we always go back to our first love of the one who saved us. I happened to witness a wedding yesterday, and it was a beautiful thing to see a bride prepared for the day of a wedding and to see the bridegroom waiting for her. And as she comes, just the delight in his eyes. And, you know, Jesus is coming back. And the thing is, are we that bride that's ready for him when he comes back? And, um, and so I just want to just throw it out there. So yes, we are doing a dedication this morning for, for Spencer and for Amelia. But I think it's good that we understand, you know, as we begin to see the salvation message that I'm going to share this morning, you get to see where dedication fits in all of this. And uh, like Chad shared, you know, I'm not going to presume everybody knows what we believe as a church, because let's face it, I know some of your families here, I, I don't know what churches we're all from and what denominations that you even come from. And, uh, but, but one thing like Chad said, shared this morning is we don't believe in infant baptism, we don't believe in confirmation classes per se, that doesn't save you. <laughs> and, um, but I do want us to talk about something, because in that in itself, um, we, we believe that little Amelia and Spencer have to come to the knowledge of Jesus themselves. And uh, here's the little secret about salvation, and uh, I just want to bring it to you. This is why we don't believe that an infant can be saved in a water baptism at an infant stage or a, or a confirmation class, is that this, is that salvation belongs to the Lord. And you can read that in Psalm 3.8 and Psalm 62.1. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not something that belongs to me. It doesn't belong to Chad. It doesn't belong to Josh Jen. It doesn't even belong to, let's say, the churches that you come from. Because a lot of our beliefs is that unless my little infant gets baptized, let's say, in the Anglican church or the Methodist church or this, the, you know, their salvation is insecure. You know, it's, we don't know. <laughs> but you know what? This is the thing. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Not to our denominations, not to the preachers, not, it belongs to Jesus. And, uh, and because of that, and I get it as parents, we want to secure our kids. We want to secure our children. We want to know if they're going to be with Jesus for eternity. And so we try everything. But I think the key is that we look at Scripture again. What does Scripture say about salvation? What does the Bible say? So if salvation belongs to the Lord, how do we come to that place? How do we come to the place where you know, we come to the, to the realization, yes, salvation is yours, but God, what is, what is my part in this? What is my role? What is my responsibility if salvation belongs to you? And I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, there is no formula. There is no um, human way of obtaining salvation. There is no technique. There's no program as a church that the Bible says you must do this 
But what it does say, and, and this is where I'm going to share, because we've got to understand it's a free gift of God. And basically, if you think of a gift as something you've got to receive. And, uh, and so I want to just talk about that a little bit, because it is a free gift. There is something that you have to do when you receive a gift. Am I right? You have to receive it. You have to take it. So it is a gift. And uh, like Christmas, we're all going to be experiencing, if you celebrate Christmas, if you don't, that's fine. But if you celebrate it, you're going to receive a gift. Am I right? Hopefully. If your loved ones really love you. And, uh, but you didn't have to work for that gift. Well, my boys will probably say they did. Well, <laughs> no. You don't have to work for the gift of salvation. And, um, but this is what we've got to understand. In Hebrews 2, 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect? Now, that word neglect is ignore. So, you know, to receive a gift, you kind of got to hold your hand out to receive it, right? But some of you might be sitting here today, and I'm not going to presume that everybody here has received that gift. Because like this scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect? Now, that word neglect is actually ignore. So, in other words, you're not holding your hand out as I'm sharing. The Holy Spirit's not, it might be working, but your heart might be hard. And so, in a sense, you, you can put your hand kind of behind your back, not receive this gift today. And you see, that's, that's the hard part of it. It's from us. It's, I can proclaim, I can do what I can, but you've got to hold your hand out to receive that gift of Jesus. And so how can we ignore this free gift? How can we neglect it? The so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. And I don't believe it's a coincidence if you're not saved that you're here today. I believe God is proclaiming to you this morning, if you, if you haven't made Jesus Lord and Savior today, I believe the Holy Spirit's working on you. You're not here by chance. I don't believe in chance. I believe God calls us. You might think you're here for maybe a dedication or, or whatever, but you're here because God's called you and He's speaking to you and He uses us as people. I'm just a puppet really by the Holy Spirit. He uses us, but ultimately God is taking on our hearts. And uh, you might be a person that might be here, well, I, I don't have enough evidence to prove that God exists, so I don't want to give myself to this. I mean, how do I know? I mean, come on. You can think like that. Am I right? But I want to say even that is not an excuse. You know, Romans 1 verses 19 says this, what may, we be, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power of the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now what this is saying is, listen, creation itself testifies that God is alive. You can ignore it. You can say, oh, I don't believe it. Actually, God's saying, you are without excuse. You can't ignore it. You can't expel it. And so, you know what? I believe in the Big Bang Theory. You know, it's the explosion and nothing produced something, which is a miracle in itself. And then from that, order came because all these little particles came to being through an explosion. To me, that takes more faith actually to believe that than to believe there was a creator. Really, it does. It's, it's, it's impossible. I mean, come on, let's think of it. How many of you have watched news? How many of you have seen explosions in a building? Uh, and you see those things, it's devastation. Hey, I mean, it's just ruins. I mean, what's happening in... Um, Gaza at the moment, hey, it's just rubble through those explosions. Have you ever heard of any of those explosions producing a building? 
Right? All of a sudden, there was a massive explosion, and there's a beautiful building just erected, and life just came. But we can believe that in the Big Bang Theory. Come on, I've watched the news for long. I haven't seen a news article that's reported that. And, uh, and so this is creation. And, and so God's saying, look, if you can ignore my creation, you're actually without excuse. You're so, you know, your mind is, is totally warped. You need to come to that place of realizing that even just by logic and reason that I exist. So, but I want to say that logic and reason, I don't believe being a believer is unreasonable. And a lot of people say, you know, when, when you take a step of faith, you've got to abandon all reason. Actually, if I read that scripture, it's not abandoning reason, but it's realizing I can't live on reason alone. You see, this is the thing. God has created everything, and, and we look at creation, and we can say it's not unreasonable to believe there's a God, because when there's a design, there's a designer. When there's a creation, there's a creator. Okay? And it's not unreasonable. But the thing is, in that, I can believe there is a God, but I don't know him personally. And that's where faith comes in. So God's put a lot into the world to show us that He exists, and it's not unreasonable. But He's left a lot out that we can't depend on reason alone. And that's where our faith comes in. Our faith needs to be tapped into the person, the Creator. You see, you can know that God exists, but you might not know Him. And there's a difference. God's calling us to know Him personally. In fact, Jesus said this, this is eternal life, that you know Him. And so... I want you to know Him this morning. I want you to know the Creator this morning. And so we, we realize this free gift is, is basically from God. In Ephesians uh, 2.8, it's for, for by grace, which is God's part, you have been saved through faith, which is our part as we believe in Him. And this is not of your own doing. I want to say salvation is not of your own doing. It's, in fact, it's not even of the church doing. This is why we, we, we can't save Amelia. We can't save Spencer. It's not of our own doing. It's, it's not, even, can I even be this straight? It's not even by our parents' doing. So Stephen and Alicia can't save their kids. Because if we go back to that scripture I shared earlier, salvation belongs to who? The Lord. So even our good preaching doesn't save you. I've been a good parent, I think, a reasonable parent. But I know I can't save my kids. God has to save them. Which is why we cannot depend on a dedication as the salvation means. And uh, come on, let's, let's face it. If it's a free gift, there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to produce it within your children. Um, even our upbringings, it's a gift of God. And I know, you know, one of the things at Christmas time as we celebrate gifts... This is where the, the Christmas message gets distorted, isn't it? I mean, you take Father Christmas, for instance, we say, you know, have you been naughty or nice? Because he's got a, a checklist, you know? Who knows that song? He's got a list and he's checking it twice and he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Eh? <laughs> well, let me... No, 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 sorry. I can't sing it. I don't have that voice. So, <laughs> but this is where the... the, the can I, let me be straight with you here. Actually, we all made the naughty list. <laughs> Every single one of us are on the naughty list. There's only one on the good list, and his name is Jesus. And the thing with him is he took your naughty list for those who receive him, and he wiped that out, and he put you on the good list. Because through that, Jesus had access to you. He brought salvation to you as you've received him. 
And so we know it's not by works. There is no naughty list that God says, tick, ah, two more for Dan, five for Chad, six for Justin, and we're earning our salvation like that. No, it's a free gift of God. But we got to live a life of repentance to Him. You know, there's no carbon copy in heaven with God's records in that sense. And, uh, yeah. So how do I receive this gift? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, now I, I want to say, because sometimes we can read that scripture and we kind of look, look at it as a mantra. You know, if you confess with your heart, believe in your, believe in your heart, well, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And we can come here and we can even pray that over ourselves, okay, and I'll carry on living my life, but that's not what that scripture is saying. If you confess Him with your heart, or confess Him with your mouth, there's a proclamation that every time you meet with people, that you engage with people, there's a constant confession taking place in your heart. When you sin, there's a confession taking, I've sinned, I've missed it. When you're engaging in relationships and you, and you have tensions and fights, it's confession, it's building that, that unity. But it's also believing in the heart. Uh, let's face it, it's not just a one-sort thing. I don't believe salvation is just a momentary thing. I believe it starts there when we confess in that first time. But it, I believe we, have, we are saved, we will be saved, and you know, we are being saved. You know, it's both past, present, future. You know, salvation is the Lord's, and it's working through us. That's why the Bible says, work out your what? Your salvation with fear and trembling. And so sometimes we can treat that scripture that I just read as almost like a, a mantra over us, and now I can carry on living the way I want. No, that's not what that scripture is saying. There needs to be a constant confession. There needs to be a constant making Jesus Lord. He's got to be Lord in my marriage. He's got to be Lord in my finances. He's got to be Lord in my my areas of insecurity, my pride, my school, my university. There's so many facets where God has to be Lord. And you see, that's, that's a constant challenge, isn't it? Oh, got to be Lord of speed limits. Got to make Him Lord of everything. And you know, the thing is, with these things, they, they come in our minds. I want to say, these things isn't just the actions we do. Sin is not just the action. It's the thoughts that we have. And that's why I love the scripture in, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says, casting down arguments and every, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's a constantly bringing things captive to Jesus. That old man that's in you always wants to rise up, doesn't he? And you've got to kill him daily. That's taking it captive, taking it captive, taking it captive. And, uh, and so Stephen and Leisha and um, Trevor and Esther, they have this responsibility is to show basically Amelia and to show Spencer who Jesus is. Because they're not salvation, so they've got to point the way to the one who is salvation. They've got to point Amelia to Jesus. They've got to point Spencer to Jesus constantly in everything they do because he is their savior. And so I know, I know often with Bible stories, we love to use the illustration. I've done it lots. Is that one of Hannah? You know, when, when she says, Lord, she couldn't have a child. And she says, God, please, I just want a child. 
And if you give me a child, I'm going to dedicate that child into your house. And we see that. It's a beautiful picture of a dedication. And so she does that. She made this promise to the Lord. And so we get Samuel who's born, and he becomes a prophet to Israel. And the beautiful thing is God uses him. But I don't want to use this as an illustration this morning for dedication. You know who I want to use is actually Jesus as the example of a dedication. You might say, well, Benny, when did Jesus have kids? No, he didn't. So let me just clarify what I'm going to say. He didn't have any children, but Jesus did dedicate his disciples to the Father. And I want to read that because, you know, even though Jesus hung around with the disciples for three years, three years in his ministry, he was teaching them. um, But it wasn't like our teaching. It wasn't a classroom, okay, classes adjourned or meetings finished, you can go home. No, they were with him for three years in everything he did. When he ate, when he slept, when he went to the toilet, they were seeing every part of Jesus' life as he engaged with people, as he taught, as he ministered. Everything he did was open to the disciples for three years. I want to know, I know Stephen and Isha, Trevor and Esther, you haven't got three years, you've got 20 years. Okay, well maybe 30 or 40, then you've got a problem as a parenting. You need to, <laughs> the failure to launch. But um, you've got 20 years. I'm going into 21 now, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to start checking. Soon I'm going to, might have to do that. But uh, um, so Jesus had three years to train the disciples. But in a sense, he reveals to us, you know, often you see Jesus, you know, when he preaches to the crowds and, he, and he's doing things. You know, we know because it's recorded in the Bible. But you know, often I used to wonder, you know, when Jesus went to alone time to be with the Father, it wasn't recorded. It's never, it's never really recorded. You just see, it says that he, he, he went into a secluded place and he, and he engaged with the Father. And I often wondered, what happened in those times? That, that's, that's the records I want to know. What, what was Jesus engaging with the Father? Because he has God the Son engaging with God the Father. It must have been an awesome conversation happening there. But Jesus, one time, just before he's about to ascend and to be with the Father and to sit at the right hand. Remember, he's already died, but now he's going to be with the Father. But just before he goes, he dedicates the disciples. And he says, I'm, I'm going to let you into my quiet room. I'm going to let you into my prayer closet this, this time. And so that's why it's recorded. And so I want to quickly go to John 17, because this is a beautiful picture from verse 6. Don't worry, I'm, not, I'm nearly done. So Chad, you don't have to carry on yawning. <laughs> <laughs> I love this picture. Don't worry, it's a lack of oxygen. I should do it. <laughs> I have manifest your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. And I want to say, Stephen Leisha, you have ma- manifest, you're going to be manifesting Amelia's name, well, Lord's name to Amelia. And it's a constantly thing. And, and the same with Trevor and Esther, you're going to be manifesting the Lord's name to Spencer. And uh, in every intricate detail of their lives, Jesus is going to be at every conversation. When they're battling with insecurities, I'm sure you're going to bring Jesus into that conversation. That's manifesting his name. It says, they were yours, you gave them to me. Okay? So Amelia is yours, but the Father gave Amelia to you. Spencer, Pervenesta, the Father gave. It's, she's the, do you know, this is the thing. She's not yours, actually. She's his first. But he's given them. He's given their children to them to steward, right? It's a season. It's a moment. And, uh, and so he says, I've given them, uh, given, have given me, 
and they have received them, and they know surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. They were yours, and you gave them to me. I love that, because actually our children belong to the Lord. And you know, in our stewarding, in our parenting, you know, actually it's the most unselfish thing that we are as parents, is actually you're preparing them for the Lord, but you're also preparing them for a partner. You're preparing your daughter for a son, who knows, it might be Spencer, or you're preparing Spencer for a daughter. It might just work out like it, but who knows? But you're preparing them for the other person. And then Jesus says that he prays this, he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given, for they are yours and all are mine and yours, sorry, and mine are yours and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now I no longer am in the world, but these are in the world. I came to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I've kept. And none of them have been lost except for the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I, I come to you that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and, your, and the world has hated them. Because you are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You have sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified. Now, Jesus says here, you know, I'm not taking them out of the world. They're going to be in the world. Our kids are in the world. Because how else are they going to be a salt? How else are they going to be the light to the world if they're not in the world? And so I believe partly our responsibility as our kids go to school, they relate. When they go to the clubs that they joined, the people that engage in, some are friendly. Can I say the world is hostile? The world is not a friendly place. And and Jesus said, I'm not taking you out of the world. And I, I want to say as parents, you know, one of the things, that, and I know all our hearts ache after this, is we try and cushion our kids. We try and protect them from the world. And Jesus says, you know what? I can't protect you in the sense that you're not going to face flack. You're not going to have resistance. That's part of it. But this is the key. Jesus says, I pray that they may be filled with my joy. So notice this. It says, it's like God saying, I'm not going to cushion you but I'm going to pray for your faith in the circumstances you're in. As parents, you're going to want to cushion your kids, and you've got to discern in the Lord when is that time and when is the time to back off and allow God to work in their hearts. There's going to be moments like that. I've had to do it many times where I wanted to take the blows for my sons, and I felt the Lord say, you hold back. I'm teaching him something. And, uh, and yeah, you have to learn it. You, you feel it in your heart as a parent. But you know he has to go through that because his faith has been tested. Yeah, God's after our faith. He's not after our good feelings. I mean, Jesus said that to Peter, didn't he? He says, the enemy wants to sift you like wheat. But I pray that you can be comfortable. No. I pray that you can be healthy, wealthy. No. I prayed for your faith. And at the end of the day, God wants our faith. That's what he's producing within us is a beautiful faith that pleases him. Sorry, I'm nearly there. And so our children need confidence. They need to have the joy of the Lord in them. 
and say, if, if this that Jesus prayed, yeah, may, they, they, they may live. Sorry, let me get that scripture quickly. Yeah. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Notice that. Let me tell you, if, the, if God is not fulfilling them, they're going to seek joy somewhere else. They're gonna, but can I say, you can never find joy outside of the Lord. You can find happiness. But you know, the problem with happiness is only dependent on what's happening. That's where the word comes from. And so happiness is always circumstantial. You know, because things happen differently at different times. And sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're not happy. But the joy of God is eternal because it's within and it's not based on what's around you. And God needs to come and bring that joy into your heart. And He needs to bring that joy into your children's heart. And so you need to teach them to find joy, not to run for pleasures of the world. Because we will either be seeking those affirmations from the Father or we'll be seeking it from the world. There is no middle ground. I think this part that hetero... What's that word? Um, people, hedonism. Hedonism is that seeking pleasure. I think we all actually wired to seek pleasure. The question is, whose pleasure are you going to be seeking? And, and the Bible says, you know, it's the lust of the flesh, um, the lust, what's it, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those are the three things that are constantly pulling us towards the world. In fact, that's what Satan offered Jesus. Eh? But you know what? If we have the affirmations of the Father... That fulfills us, that we don't need to seek it from the world. And you won't seek it from the world. And I say that, when you're getting that, you will not seek it from the world. I know this in myself. When I'm being filled with the things of the Father and the things that He gives me, I don't seek pleasure outside of Him. And that's why I love the picture when Jesus was baptized. He said, this is my son. His identity was established at His baptism. Whom I love, His affection was established at that baptism. And with whom I'm well pleased, His affirmation was established at that baptism. And that was a, such a beautiful picture. And I want to say to, to you, Stephen, Leisha, and to um, Esther and Trevor, always speak that over your children, that God loves them, that He approves of them, when that and, and to even show them where they, and where they miss it. And then He says this, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by truth. And this is the last bit I want to share. You sanctify yourselves. If you make Jesus Lord, they can see Him as Lord. If you say one thing and you live another, they're going to see something that they cannot, um, what's the word? Yeah, they, they can't because it's not lived out through you. And so we can say what we want. I can preach what I want from the pulpit. But let me say, my kids are going to see the real me. They're going to they, they, see the real me. And that's why Luke 7.35 says this. And I'm going to end with this scripture. It says, but wisdom is vindicated. Now that word vindicated is, is proved right by her children. Think about that. I just want to take a moment and just think about that. Wisdom is vindicated. It's proved right by her children. I can say what I want. You can say what you want. But at the end of the day, your kids are going to be a reflection of you. Uh, it's kind of a humbling thing as a parent because, I mean, I love my boys and I see the God in them at times, but I can also see me in them at times. Uh, God, they need you. <laughs> they need salvation the same way I needed salvation because I can see the same sin that's working in me is working in Him. God, free me and free Him. And I'd pray for Him for those things. And I would show Him, and this is part of the key, I would show Him where He's going wrong because that's where I went wrong. 
And that's part of repentance. When your kids can be, be able to distinguish what's dad and what's God, then they can make the right choices in their lives. But if you, if you keep those lines blurred, those lines blurred, because of your pride as a mom and dad, I want to say you're leading your children to destruction. Be repentant. That's all you have to do. Be repentant. Because it's those moments that those kids make a distinction. That's a, this is God's way. Yeah, mom and dad have missed it here. But I can see the Lord in this moment. And in that, they carry on following him. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so I want to end with that. But just in closing, maybe some of you sitting you sitting here have never made this decision to make Jesus Lord and Savior of, of your life. And even as I've been sharing, the Holy Spirit's been tugging your heart. I've, I've shared to you that salvation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord, but He chooses to give it to those who are repentant. He chooses to give it to those who confess with their mouths and believe with their hearts that He is Lord. And it's in that moment that as you make Him Lord, that He comes and resides in your heart. And so I want to say, can we just bow our eyes or bow our heads and close our eyes? Because maybe that's you this morning. I want to say, won't you come? Won't you just put up your hand first? If there's anybody here that's never made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, today is the day. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But Jesus is coming. The Bible says He's coming and He's not going to come with grace. He's going to come with judgment the next time He came, He comes. The first time He came, He came with grace. He came with mercy. But He's also coming with truth. And He loves you. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish. It's almost a promise of God. If you believe in Him, if you receive Him, you will not perish. You will have everlasting life. But today is the day of salvation. God is throwing a lifeline out to those who would receive Him. Don't let this opportunity go by without taking that lifeline. 